Hello and welcome to Within Normal Limits, COPIC's podcast featuring discussions of patient safety in the modern healthcare world. I'm your host, Eric Zacharias, a risk manager and patient safety consultant at COPIC. I'm also our director of medical education and on clinical faculty at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I'm a practicing internal medicine physician, and I want to thank you for listening and helping us further COPIC's mission of improving medicine in the communities we serve. Now, an exciting legal disclaimer. Uh, information provided in this podcast should not be relied upon for personal, medical, legal, or financial decisions, and you should consult an appropriate professional for specific advice that pertains to your situation. Healthcare providers should exercise their professional judgment in connection with the provision of healthcare services. The information contained in this podcast is not intended to be, nor is it, a substitute for medical diagnosis, treatment, advice, or judgment relative to a patient's specific condition. Thank you for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Within Normal Limits. Today is my favorite recurring guest star, Dr. Dennis Boyle. Uh, Dennis is a rheumatologist, a professor of medicine at CU School of Medicine, uh, practices at Denver Health, is a risk manager at Copic, and the world's leading expert on perfect documentation. So, Dr. Boyle, thank you for joining us on Within Normal Limits. Thanks for having me, Eric, and I know you have that kind of introduction for everyone, but uh, they do appreciate it. And uh, this will be a little different, I think, because I think uh, you know lots about documentation, too. We may go back and forth. Uh, I'm not the expert as much as uh, I think we both are. And everyone that's listening has probably suffered through documentation, right? Uh, yeah, I'm an expert on cynicism, and uh, the reason is, is, as you're well aware, we started with paper and we switched to electronic health records, and uh, certainly far from perfect, uh, spoiler alert to our audience, uh, if you've never practiced medicine and you get an le electronic health record, uh, it's not going to make your life easier. Uh, but it has changed one key area in in health records, and, and Dennis, what is, what is now different that used to not be the case? Because it used to be notorious about doctors in this. Yeah, the biggest thing, of course, is legibility. And uh, now that we've almost universally gone to a digital documentation, uh, legibility has really improved. I literally made a mistake years and years ago when I was doing a lot of inpatient medicine of writing 10.0 units of insulin to someone, and they ended up getting 100, you know, because uh, my dot was just a little dot. And uh, so, you know, that kind of in, that kind of error has changed. Things are now much more legible. That's about it, as best I can tell. What do, what do you think? Do you think uh, the rest of the documentation has gotten a lot better? Well, it's it's gotten more voluminous. And so, as they as they say, it uh, there was a great Saturday Night Live uh, mock commercial where they talked about a bank that makes change. And they joked about if you give a dollar, we'll give you 10 dimes or four quarters or 100 pennies. And someone said, how are you profitable? And they said, volume. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what electronic health records are. We've we've got volume, but I'm not sure that's really made things uh, made things any better. But it certainly has made it harder to read notes because uh Maybe I'll just speak for myself. I won't say this is in everybody's records. Sometimes I see records where stuff is carry, carried forward, and it's not plausible uh, that somebody in a in a non-cognitive type field did a 15-minute neuro exam on a pre-op patient. Yeah, and I think that's the we see that over and over again. Five, you know, they document the time, and then 
uh, an immense documentation, a complete physical exam, and the total time in a visit is eight minutes or 10 minutes or something like that. Uh, yes, I think that uh, we over-document, and it's a lot of times not believable, and we certainly see that a lot uh, in the cases when we go over them. So um, so this is, this stuff's pretty aspirational, don't you think, Eric? Do you think uh, um, is, we're going to be talking about stuff here? Is this the way it's going to be all the time? Or, I mean, um, you, we, you know, it, it, you and I have uh, documented in the past. We really always did. I, I always had perfect documentation. I don't know. How about you? Did you just always nail it completely? Oh, yeah. Ask my partners. They they find nothing uh, more complete than than my note of, say, somebody with a uncomplicated sore throat, where maybe it's the complete sentence uh, is my full documentation. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's aspirational. And before everybody thinks we're just total, um, you know, Johnny Buzzkills here, um, there are some things about documentation which I think are good news. And the first one, I'm going to give a couple. Uh, the first one is that you're not held to this absurd standard of if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Uh, you can't document every second of a clinical uh, encounter. And and we'll we'll go into a little more detail about this, but I do want people to understand that that is not an expectation. It's not realistic. It's not necessary. In fact, it's even counterproductive because when it is an uncomplicated sore throat, I don't want a seven-page note on that. It's 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 a waste of time. It's a waste of everybody's energy. But what's a ma what matters is that appropriate thought processes relative to the situation, appropriate recommendations, you know, relative to the scope of practice and in, in what you're working in is what really matters. And, and that's what good documentation is all about, is what would appear, what would Dr. Boyle, if I were to refer him a patient with knee pain, what would he want to see in the note that was helpful for him to provide good care? So that's the, that's the standard uh, that we're held to. So, how about how about that for some positive news, Dennis? I, I think so, and I think I I sum it up as saying it's reasonable. It's actually the the standard is reasonable, um, and in fact, as you started off with, we probably over document a little bit, uh, but reasonable about what the issue is 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 uh, is that that's the sweet spot. That's the middle of the bat, if you will, since we're at the start of baseball season. So. Um, so I agree. It's a it's reasonableness. What would a what would a similar physician or clinician, for, if you're a PANP, what would you do in the same situation, and what would you document? So. Yeah, absolutely. And do understand, dear gentle listeners, we're talking about what's necessary for best patient care and for reasonable communication among providers. You know that's. What's the diagnosis? What are my recommendations? Why am I referring somebody? What's the patient understanding? How are we implementing that? Those are the kind of things that a clinician wants in a note. This is not talking about documentation for billing purposes. This is not documentation to meet macro and MIPS and quality improvement programs and what other uh, hoops you're tasked with jumping through. And I'm sorry that we're tasked with those, but th that's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about documentation that matters. And I, I, I suppose it shouldn't be a mark of pride, but throughout my years of practice, I didn't change my documentation to jump through macro and MIPS hoops. I just, I couldn't stand 
doing it. But I do understand that a lot of money can be involved and that really can affect payments and billing issues. Um, but if you want advice on that, uh, this is not your uh, this is not your podcast. No, and I think that's you're you're hitting the, the the right point there, which is there's many reasons to document, and but the reason you know the one reason we worry about is what were you thinking, why were you thinking it, and why do you do what you do, and that's our reason for documenting. That's what helps you out if your your care is called into question, and you know it, 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 there's there's just so much uh, going on. I mean, you know, the classic article is that four thousand click article that's been you know, reproduced and talked about a lot, but just you need you need to, to get through a day in the in the office. You just need to be on the computer so much clicking through. It's really sort of crazy. So, yes, many reasons for documentation, I think we're both saying, but we're just really working on that one important reason, which is why to do it and what was your reason behind what you did. I think that's we think what's important. So. Yeah, I agree. And so it's not a hard science. It's just what would a peer want? And if Dennis and I were sitting around and we were having one of our better clinical days and I looked at his note and said, gosh, Dennis, this tells me what I need to know about this patient. Uh, that's the standard that we would hold uh, each other to from a peer standpoint. And again, those other aspects are they're in the note, but they're not really part of of patient care documentation as far as as far as I'm concerned. It's what would a what would appear uh, want in the note in order to provide good care. But speaking of that, uh, there are some specific areas um, where it is important and appear should want these in there. So I'm going to hit some specifics. And uh, Dennis, maybe have you opine on a little of these, and I'll uh, opine as uh, as I feel inclined. Um, you know, one is around informed consent uh, as a, as a key part of our uh, defending uh, procedural cases uh, around risks around a procedure and alternatives uh, to the procedure. Uh, and one of the key questions I have for you is. You know, what is informed consent? You do some procedures, so maybe uh, tell us what informed consent is. And I bet you're not going to say it's just a signed piece of paper. No, it's more than a signed piece of paper, as you know. It's really having the discussion around it. Um, and you really, of course, want to go over risk and benefits. I think we mostly do that. Um, and then what the, you know, the big thing to ask is what are the alternatives if you don't do this procedure? You know, what are you, is it living with the hip pain? Is that really an option? Uh, uh, but sort of laying that out. And, and you do need a signed piece of paper. I think uh, if you get uh, to our level of care or our level of review of records, you, it's nice to have that uh, informed consent there. But it's really having a discussion so that the, the patient knows that uh, there are potential uh, you know side effects from what you're doing. And so I think that the informed consent is one area where documentation is just so important. And I think the Colorado law specifically, but you know, I would also say this for other states, um, is is uh, that the that the person doing the procedure is the one that should get the consent. So the days of the uh, head nurse on ortho going in and getting the uh, consent form is sort of done. Uh, we don't think that should be the way to do it. What are your thoughts on informed consent? Anything that you'd add into what I said? No, those are those are key, and it's not every possible complication, but <clears throat> it's the ones that someone would reasonably want to know about when making a decision, 
and uh, alternatives as far as which ones they would reasonably want to know about in order to make a decision. Because we do see in these uh, informed consent cases, uh, sometimes uh, patients uh, have pretty selective uh, forgetfulness and they'll they'll maybe allege, I don't think the doctor told me that. And the plaintiff attorney will say, uh, well, uh, the, the patient wasn't really given the alternatives or the potential risks and never would have decided to do this. Uh, and that's where a good informed consent can be uh, can be extre- extremely helpful. And and I couldn't agree more that the the consent is the discussion, you know, the paper, uh, the signed, uh, you know, tablet pad. Uh, that's that helps memorialize it. It's sometimes required by different hospitals, rules and regulations. But um, the actual consent is the interaction and, and the discussion. And who better to have that than the person who's going to be uh, making the decision to do the procedure and actually performing it. And it's not limited to procedures. I mean, you infuse unbelievably powerful medications that can uh, absolutely uh, perturb somebody's normally functioning immune system in a very favorable way because it makes their rheumatoid arthritis get better or their ankylosing spondylitis or whatever rheumatologic condition. But you've got some serious risks around medications as well. Yes. And that's a, you know, half of your, you know, if you think about it, we sort of think of uh, informed consent as, uh, you know, procedures, but it's really also around giving out drugs, which both of us, uh, you know, do quite a bit, right? That's a large part of what we do. And yes, for, uh, as a rheumatologist, so many uh, uh, unusual side effects with some of the drugs we give, yet they're they're incredible drugs. They've been life-saving and life-altering drugs. Um, So yeah, informed consent's a big area. Other areas I think about, how about phone calls, Eric? Uh, you know, you get you have a thousand phone calls and discussions a day. What do you what do you like to document in your phone calls? And and we have certainly seen some stuff. He said, she said at uh, at our level of a uh, you know, chart review. What, what are you thinking about phone calls? You know, the the key thing about phone calls is <clears throat> if a major clinical decision uh, or major clinical recommendation is given. Uh, making sure that's put in that in that phone note. You know, a routine refill, uh, a uh, call for, you know, I missed my physical, go ahead and get me in, uh, can you send my labs, and so on. Yeah, you know, you may want to have a log of those, but when someone calls with uh, chest pain uh, and you say they need to go to the emergency department and call 911 to get there, that should be documented in an optimal situation. When you think there's a high-risk clinical scenario and you make a recommendation, uh, then that would be the kind of place where I'd, I'd really want to make sure it's it's documented. Or if you ask somebody to come into the office because they call with, a, in my world, a, a medication side effect complaint, they have some kind of an unusual rash and you're worried about toxic epidermal necrolysis, then you'd want to document that so that if they do wind up in the burn unit, uh, there's not a potential allegation that you never told them this could be a, a serious complication. So, uh, you, you you can't and nor do you have to log every single word that is spoken on the phone conversation, just like the doctor's note, uh, provider's note doesn't have to have every single word that's communicated. But those key things, those major risk areas, and uh, those are where I really like to document, which is a perfect segue 
uh, into. Uh, and and folks, we didn't practice this. This is just how good Dennis and I are. We uh, this is this is how we roll. Um, but this is a perfect segue into documentation in some cognitive type fields, primary care, emergency medicine, and others about those high risk clinical scenarios. So I know you know these. Uh, we didn't rehearse this, but I, I, I know Dennis well enough to know he can hit some of these key areas where you need to make sure your documentation is a little more in depth. Now I'm getting nervous, but uh, so, yeah, so I think that's, and I think if you're listening to this, that's the key. Um, so for primary care docs, it's heads, hearts, bellies, and bugs. Uh, I've always said heads, hearts, guts, and bugs, but Eric doesn't like that. So we're deferring to Eric's podcast. So, uh, and, and I think if you're in the office and you, if you're seeing someone with belly pain or with chest pain or some neurologic symptoms, those are areas that you really need to do uh, you know, your serious documentation. Now, if someone comes in and they have left ankle pain without swelling, that's that it, it's just a little different. If they have diabetes or hypertension, those things don't get you uh, into litigation. So uh, those are the, not the area, but in high-risk areas and in primary care, also in the emergency room, it's uh, uh, heads, hearts, bellies, and bugs. Uh, it's a little harder in the emergency situation because uh, I think the uh, um, and, you know, that, that a lot of what you see in the emergency room is heads, hearts, bellies, and bugs. So it, it doesn't help you. But certainly in, in, in your clinic, if you're seeing 26 in a day, you may only have two or three of those where you, you definitely want to document your, your, a real complete note in those situations. And then yeah, just, and the, the thought process is, is key, as, as you were alluding to. You know, when someone has an acute neurologic presentation, and you decide it's peripheral labyrinthitis, not a posterior circulation stroke, uh, just outlining that thought, you might be wrong, but at least we can defend reasonable healthcare providers sometimes miss things, especially early in their presentation, but that that's not necessarily below the standard of care. Uh, as long as you have a, a thought process that a same or similar provider would think, oh yeah, you know, they were they were off, they missed it, but they had a reasonable plan. You know, they they did a complete neuro exam, they walked the patient, they did posterior circulation evaluation, uh, had follow-up and return precautions, uh, considered a STAT MRA, uh, decided not to do the, uh, the angiogram, uh, but are keeping this as a fluid process uh, so that if things change, um, and we don't want to be doing a magnetic resonant angiogram of the posterior circulation of every person who has labyrinthitis, but we at least want to know that posterior circulation strokes are in that differential and that we did some sort of an evaluation. And posterior circulation strokes are not checked by having somebody shrug their shoulders. Yeah. And I, I think, and that really gets to the one of the key areas, and you and I and others have talked about this a lot. Uh, you know, it's this. You know, should you even mention, is it bad to mention that I considered a stroke, uh, but because of this, this, and this, and because of my complete neurologic exam, it was normal uh, that I decided this wasn't a stroke. Is that, is it better to say that or just not mention I thought of a stroke at all? What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. In fact, it's so great that I have a prepared answer for this one, even though I had a prepared answer because uh, I've given a couple of talks on this. And I got the answer uh, from a couple of just stellar defense attorneys 
because that question does come up like should i put in the differential and if i didn't work it up is that worse than not putting it in and 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 not demonstrating that i at least thought and knew of the reasonable possibilities and first of all again there's no hard science we we can't tell you 100 percent. It, it is um clinical scenarios are very complicated um but as if you're listening to differential just make it clear here's some of the major things that i have considered I know that there are many other potential possibilities. The care process is fluid and this plan, you know, not in so many words, but this plan may be adjusted over time as the clinical scenario plays out as I get more information. Right now I'm considering these items. And if it's something major, for instance, let's say chest pain, and it's very atypical, uh, and you decide not to work it up, you might put in the various reasons why it's atypical, why you're not working it up in that setting, uh, and uh, what might make you want to work it up further. So uh, back to those high-risk scenarios that you mentioned, you know, acute neurologic things, especially if it's neuro plus, so, you know, neuro plus a fever, neuro plus abnormal vital signs, the chest pain, uh, especially the triple rule out uh, concerns. I mean, you better have a darn good reason for not checking um, a CTA in somebody uh, who just had a, a major surgery, has been immobilized for several days and is on birth control pills. Uh, maybe there's a great reason to not do it, but you should document that if 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 you think it. So that's that's kind of how I think about the differential. What about yourself? Well, it sounds like you've, you've thought of this one through before. So yes, I, I, that's exactly the point is I, I think you want to talk about it, but you want to talk about your your process behind it. So how about other specialties? Uh, you know, ortho, what, what gets a, what gets an, uh, an ortho, orthopod in court? Eric, what do you think? What are the areas that post-op that? Um, yeah, for all my orthopedic friends listening to this, what we really see is when you missed, when you missed that uh, split S2 on cardiac exam, um, you know, that is just, that is critical to orthopedic care. Um, yeah, if anybody, or <laughs> anybody knows healthcare, that's that's my that's my attempt at inside jokes. Um, yeah, orthopedists are not going to get sued for missing a a, a split S two. Uh, in fact, I'd consider it a miracle if they heard a split S two because it's really hard to do, and and their job is not to be excellent uh, listening to you know obscure obscure heart sounds. Their job is to not miss post surgical complications in their own patients. So. We see miscompartment syndrome when someone else other than the operating orthopedist sees the patient after the surgery uh, or uh, the orthopedist gets called and, and doesn't see the patient. Um, so, you know, documentation around uh, things that are high risk for orthopedists, um, such as compartment syndrome, uh, vascular compromise, uh, when someone has already an impaired neurologic function in part of the body after trauma, uh, and maybe it's an acute event, you know, making sure you document, hey, this person has a flaccid arm going into surgery to repair their compound humeral fracture, uh, so that there's not an allegation that, well, my arm was fine and now it doesn't work. Um, just, just as some potential, uh, I examples. Yeah. And I think the big thing there, you, you, the really the most important point is, um, you know, if you're an orthopod, often you and your physician's assistant are, are working together. 
and um, just make sure that you your PA knows um, you know what the you know these comp is well versed in all these, and you have a fluid conversation about it because that's the issue. It's that first day post first day post op when the PA goes in the room and there's you know one of these it, it, you've got to both be on the same page around this. It's the post op complications and compartment syndrome. By the way, if it, you know it, compartment syndromes are just highly litigated, so if you're involved with a compartment syndrome, just be on your toes and you know try to hit all the bases. Uh, um, do, do things right and you know document well around it. I completely agree, and uh, I, I did jot a note down. I, I was uh, speaking of cynicism, but this is for my ortho colleagues. Unless you've been living under a rock somewhere, they've heard about this case in um, uh, Pennsylvania, your home state, uh, where a uh, a, a NFL football player had a torn PCL, uh, probably career destroying injury. Um, also on, also on the MRI had an incidental finding of a meniscal tear, probably completely irrelevant to what was going on uh, that needed surgery. But there was no documentation around that finding, and no no good documentation about why that uh, meniscus wasn't repaired and uh, it did go to litigation and in a probably surprising verdict to at least the surgeon and maybe uh, other observers uh, was found negligent for not addressing almost certainly the innocent bystander the meniscal tear you know as opposed to doing a great surgery on the on on the PCL um, so that would be an idea of you know, where documentation about a finding that you're not acting on could also be important. Do you know that case? I know that case, but I'm, I'm from Philadelphia where um, yeah, there was a case where a person sued because they had a CAT scan and it stole their psychic powers. This was a psychic person and it stole her powers and she won the case. So uh, the moral of the story is <laughs> if you're most we, we don't insure Pennsylvania and I don't think it's high on the list. Yes. Yes. I know the story. And uh, it's uh, that, that's a, that's a tough scenario. PCL is a, is an ending injury. I, I would think for a football player. I mean, that's such a, that's a brutal injury. Um, and uh, so, I mean, then your knee is so unstable after, yeah, that's, that's craziness. So. Yeah. It's a sad, it's a sad case because by all accounts, and I know some people who personally know the involved surgeon, he's an absolute world-class surgeon and a world-class nice guy. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't wish that on anybody. So, uh, well, let's, let's, let's get out of the darkness and, uh, move towards, uh, maybe, maybe wrapping this up in some, in some positive things about, you know, again, about the defense attorneys. And you mentioned, aspirational um and you know aspirational to me is you know i want to note that somebody who looks at that who's a peer would say eric runs a tight ship uh, eric was thoughtful in the care of this patient he asked the relevant questions to the situation documented uh, a differential if appropriate for the scenario and 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 the plans and I think sometimes just free text of your thought process, as opposed to just clicking through templates, uh, might be a way to to do that. And 
um, you know, and a real factually accurate. That's that's what I shoot for in in my notes. What what about yourself? And I think it, well, and this is not something I do because I'm not a surgeon. But I think for surgeons, if the surgery was a little bit rugged, if you're delivered a baby and there was some a lot of stuff happening, that's when you really want to you know, put down the template and and really write a good note and take a little bit of extra time and get a cup of coffee and. Um, you know, spend your time writing a good note. If, if you have a, a surgery that was a little wild and woolly and, you know, maybe there was some stuff that happened, please make sure you, know, you really write your, your note uh, with some uh, for and afterthought. And I guess the, the one other thing, and we get this call all the time on hotline, so this is a good call for you, is, you know, I, uh, Eric, I forgot to write my note, and it's two days later, and the patient's in the ICU. Uh, what do you advise people when they say uh, I, I didn't write the note or, or should I add something to my note because I, I didn't I didn't put in I was worried about this or that. What do you think about that? Yeah, great question. And we do we do get that a lot. And uh, I'll, I'll preface the answer by saying I know everybody's busy and I, I'm not trying to sound like a scold but not documenting close to contemporaneously with the care, you know, i.e. waiting until your day off so that you can catch up on your notes and, and put down what happened with that anesthesia patient or with that surgical patient or that ED patient, uh, and, and, and then things get really bad. It's almost impossible to defend uh, a, a late entry that looks defensive, and they almost always do look defensive. It's very hard not to say, of course, told the patient the importance of the return visit. Uh, I made sure to emphasize uh, a deep muscle exam on this patient that I was worried about, you know, what, whatever that would be. It's almost impossible to not put something in that sounds defensive. Our defense attorneys, the people we work with are stellar. They can help explain how an excellent clinician, I'm not saying this is what we want you to do, but they can do this, uh, how a, an excellent clinician who's incredibly busy might not, during the course of care and treatment in, in the hospital, finish a note contemporaneously. And they can explain by habit and custom and by training and experience and reputation, of course you did all the appropriate important things, but you had to run to the next patient and the next patient and the next patient, and you didn't document it in real time. So they can defend the absence of the note, but if you get back in there and, and add a bunch of stuff, or God forbid, change something on an exam, um, try to make it look like this documentation was done earlier than it was, that is, that makes it very difficult for defense attorneys. Yes, I think, you know, the only reason to add a note is if it would help the patient after the fact. And I think you got to be very clear um, about that this is after the fact. You need to put your time and date in and not sort of cover that up. And, and I think the biggest suggestion I'd have is give us a call if that. Um, so one of us is on hotline. Thank, thankfully, right now, it's not me. It's, it's Dr. Zacharias on call. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it just give Eric a call or me or Alan or Susan and, you know, just run it by, you know, should I write a note here and what should I say and how should I say it? I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, a defensive note after the fact, uh, 
our, our, our lawyers you know, would rather not see that actually. So, and it's very tempting to, to say, oh, I'm going to add another note here and, and try to clarify what I was thinking. Um, you know, don't do that unless it's really for the patients. If you've completely forgotten a note, there might be a situation where you would do it. Um, but uh, you have to be very careful and give us a call. Um, we can talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is way easier to defend. Foremost, I was caring for the patient and was unable to get to the documentation side. Uh, I know it would have been better if I had. I did not. But this is, of course, as a as a well-trained practicing physician in this field, this is what happened. This is what I did. Um, that's a lot more uh, uh, sympathetic to a jury than a note that looks uh, defensive. Yeah, but but you can be an ER doc and, you know, have a one hour core and then have eight people waiting and, you know, you have a hard time getting to your note. I mean, you have to sort of make decisions. Other people are in crisis. You can't, uh, you got to do what you have to do. So um, it, it, it can be hard. And, and I guess that's the, the biggest thing I'd say about all of this stuff is we've, we've struggled. We both struggled with documentation and we've talked about it a lot. I, I certainly did when uh, when I was practicing full time and you know, part time. So uh, we do appreciate that this is aspirational and, and it's hard. It's hard to, uh, uh, and to and I, I've never had a case when my care was called in the question where I looked at it and said, oh, my documentation was perfect. It's it's never perfect. I, I could have always done a little better. And I, I, I think, you know, I think most people would agree with that. So no, no question about it. You know, so it's uh, to maybe put your mind at ease. Uh, no one expects perfection. Uh, Dennis and I certainly, uh, I, I'll speak for Dennis, is an excellent clinician, provides stellar care. Uh, his notes, uh, I don't know if I've even seen one of your notes, but I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure they say what I would want to get in a note. Um, they may not meet all the criteria for macro or MIPS. They may not jump through all the hoops for some kind of one of these special reimbursement uh, quality improvement programs. And God knows if you checked all the boxes for appropriate billing purposes, but I promise Dennis checked all the boxes that a good, good clinician would want. And I think, um, you know, that this might uh, cause a, a, a hospital administrator to rupture an aneurysm, but so be it. That's what I want clinicians to do. Uh, it's not our job to try to figure out what to add to a note to um, meet these other criteria. Our job is to provide good clinical care and document it in a way that's clear and that somebody looking at the note who's a professional would say, oh yeah, that's a reasonable note. That's what I'd like to see in a note. That's a perfect ending to it. And finally, we are on call. If you have a documentation question, give us a holler, right? Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm on call right now, but by the time this is uh, put out, hopefully Dennis will be on call. And so <laughs> I would say call, call liberally, call often. Uh, no, do call anytime. We we like to try to be helpful. Uh, yeah. Practice can be sometimes isolating. Uh, you can be in a huge group, but everybody's in the exam rooms or in the OR and uh, you, you don't really see each other that much to ask these kind of questions. So we can be accessible peers and uh, try to give you advice. Uh, Dennis, thanks for joining me. It was uh, it was fun to, to chat about documentation. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Eric. Appreciate it. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Scambotti, a colorectal surgeon and medical director of Copic, 
thanking you for being a listener. We hope you find Within Normal Limits to be interesting and informative as we at Copic continue with new ways to bring you content relevant to our mission. Please email us at wnlpodcast at copic.com with show ideas or topics you would like to see addressed in future episodes of Within Normal Limits, Navigating Medical Risk. Also, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any of our content. And while you're at it, please give us a rating if you enjoyed our show. 